You're listening to Distilling Theology. I'm Blake. And I'm Justin. And this is a podcast pairing discussions of theology and distilled spirits. And dad jokes. Amen. What's wrong with you people? You're not David. I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you. Fatality. You know, starting a podcast about theology and distilled spirits is whiskey business. (laughs) I said that with a straight face. This is Distilling Theology. Welcome back, males with beards and females. (laughs) Because <laughs> I know, I know only, I know only bearded males listen to this show. Uh, we have uh, it's been a while since we've recorded. Um, I'm excited to be back uh, tonight. Actually, Blake is not with us. Uh, no, he didn't die. He's just currently uh, indisposed, so he uh, is unable to record with me tonight. I, I um, actually heard we, a I heard a rumor that oh that Blake has become a papist, and that's why he's not here. <laughs> And, and don't worry, it's not. I, I can either confirm nor deny. Well, don't worry, it's not gossip. I just I wanted to let you all know so you guys can be praying for him. <laughs> That's what I heard. Anyway. You know, I hear that happens amongst uh, the Pado Baptists quite often. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as you guys can tell, I'm not alone though. Uh, I have Eric back with us again. Um, Eric is uh, officially unofficially officially uh i think gonna be a part-time uh host on our show here oh we didn't discuss um, that <laughs> oh yeah sure yep, that? i'm dropped in on you right now um i, I have voluntold him uh, this information <laughs> uh and so eric well dude how have you been man it's been a while i've i've been all right uh yeah it's been it's been a while but good um yeah i don't know <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> great. Well, it's great to have you back. Um, some things have changed uh, since we've last talked, so I'm excited yeah. to get into that tonight. But yeah. before we do, uh, I was going to do a Valley Vision prayer, but I cannot find my copy of Valley Vision to save my life. I, uh, I can grab mine. It, so. You want me to grab mine? Uh, if you want, if it's if it's within grasp. Well, I got to get out of the chair. Oh, yeah, that's that's all right. All our patrons will get to see it. Guys, if you <laughs> want to join us on Patreon, you get to see Eric walk away. <laughs> Uh, to find his his uh, Valley of Vision, and now he's walking back. He's sitting yep. down there. He is. I lied. Look at that patrons. It's upstairs. Oh, sorry. Oh, oh, I don't want to run oh, upstairs. Right. <laughs> that's all right. Listen, the Lord knows our hearts. So, <laughs> since Blake's not here, should I speak in a deeper, sultry voice? <laughs> you know, I considered before the episode punching myself in the throat. <laughs> like a nice t- I just thought the uh, audience might. Miss uh, Wilhelmus Habakkakakal. <laughs> but uh, then again, it might be whiskey business for me to talk in this voice because Blake might think I'm making fun of him. And I'm not. I love his voice. I'm just kidding, Blake. Uh, I love it. I love it. You know, it's been a while. Listen, I've had like the last last two episodes that we recorded, we had guests on the show and uh, all of them were Presbyterians. And so... Uh, they were all picking on me, so you know what? Uh, it's it's well earned. <laughs> it's well earned. Finally, um, I'm excited to taste tonight. Uh, we have uh, tonight. We are sipping on Arbolor Abana. 
probably saying that wrong. Maybe. Saying it right? I don't know. I say Aber- uh, Aberlauer Abuna, but that's probably just as <laughs> wrong. <laughs> Aberlauer. Uh, <laughs> as Blake would pronounce it. Uh, it's an unusual scotch. Uh, it carries no age statement. Each bottle carries a unique batch number. Um, we don't have the same batch. I've got, uh, I've got 62. Which one do you have again? Okay. I have 53. Okay. Um, and they are released in limited run batches ranging, uh, from, uh, one to as many as five per year with the batch, uh, first batch released back in 1997. You know, I was seven years old at that time. Um, the most recent <laughs> batch, uh, as of these notes, uh, was batch 52. Um, and that was back in 2015. So the whiskey blend, uh, is, um, it, the, the whiskey is a blend from barrels ranging from 25 years in age or from five to 25 years in age. And it's bottled at cask strength, which historically has a uh, average between 59% alcohol per volume and 61% alcohol per volume. And it is not chill filtered, nor is any color added to it. And it is matured in Spanish Oloroso sherry butts. And yes, that is butt with two T's. Might need to bleep that one out, Blake, later (laughs) when you're editing. Uh, Yeah, for all you homeschool listeners. Great. Yeah. So um, what are you getting on the nose there? Well, this is this is one of my favorite non-peated scotches. So I was really happy when you, uh, you said, let's drink this one tonight. Yeah. Yeah. To me, this is a what is commonly referred to as a sherry bomb. It's a very dessert whiskey. Um, okay. So I get a lot of rich sherry notes, um, assorted dried fruits like cherries, uh, assorted berries, um, milk chocolate. That also tends to be um, common with a lot of sherry finished scotches. We get a hint of coconut and unripe tropical fruits, like maybe like an unripe mango. Um, I could go on, but you know what? I, I, I how, what, do you, what else are you getting right now? <laughs> um, yeah, with mine, I'm getting a little bit more peach, maybe apricot, almost like a, a raisiny um, mm-hmm. smell. Yeah, that that's gonna be the sherry. Still getting some of the mango and things like that for sure. Very, very sweet smelling. It's, it smells amazing. Almost like a, almost like a, like a marmalade. Mm, definitely. It's oh, very it rich. Delicious. Yeah. There's also <laughs> some, some spice bound. Did you get some in your mustache there? No, no. It was itchy. I wish. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, I get a hint of uh baking spice balancing out that, that sweetness. Um, either coriander mm-hmm. or cardamom. I always get the two mixed up. It's like that tangy floral baking spice uh note with little nutmeg and clove get a hint of oakiness yeah cinnamon even some vanilla and walnut even yeah you know those um you go to like ihop or something and they have the uh like cherry flavored or strawberry flavored syrups just those like berry like there's that sweet fruity syrup note on the nose um i get some some spun sugar like cotton candy and those red candy shoelaces you remember those as a kid? Yeah, dude. A little bit of leather and pipe man, you're, tobacco. You're bringing this alive, man. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it smells good. It smells so I, good. I don't I'm get super it. pumped. I mean, when we said we were tasting that tonight, right before we started recording, I poured some. So I, I wrote some of these notes down ahead of time. <laughs> I'm not just rattling them off, but I mean, yeah, that's, I spent, you know, a couple minutes before we started recording with it and it is, it's, but it's one that I've pretty familiar with. Um, one yeah. of my favorite non peated scotches, as I said. So, well, let's, uh, let's 
dive into this here. Cheers. Mmm. Mmm, wow. How's that ABV treating you? It's not as bad. Um, man, that, it, it's got almost like a like a soft, oily mm-hmm. texture. Yep. Um, I'm getting a lot more of the... A lot more of the dried fruits. It's very dry yeah. up front, like in the front, which is um, like really mouthwatering on the sides. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's kind of like a... Uh, an interesting mix. There's definitely some some apple, even some of the apricot for sure. Um, there's the spice. Yeah, I think I think the spice comes out a little bit more on the palate than on the aroma, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which does come more out as like a nutmeg, clove kind of spice, cinnamon, um, and that dryness, the oakiness. You were saying that it's anywhere from five year old to twenty five year old uh, barrels yeah. are married. Um, not blended, as you said. You said it's a blend, but technically this is a single malt scotch, and blend is a dirty yeah. word that we don't say here <laughs> while we're drinking single malt scotch. But um, when they marry those barrels together in the batch, um, those older barrels are what's shining through when you get that dry oakiness on the palate. So nice, nice. Yeah, it's a delicious whiskey. Oh man, I'm getting I'm getting that dark chocolate now mm-hmm. as it kind of sits, um, almost like a almost a coffee as mm-hmm. well. Mm. It's a it's got a long finish. Oh yeah. Like that that sits. It's very creamy, like uh creamy caramel kind of flavor. So this is just kind of sits there. Yeah. The thing with higher ABV, you know, cask strength whiskeys that I love is once you get used to the burn of whiskey, <clears throat> which mm-hmm. I don't even feel it anymore for the most part. Um <laughs> sure. it, they do have a more viscous, oily texture to them. You know, you're not yeah. watering the whiskey down, you're not adding water. Um, to the whiskey to proof it down so those oils are just so much more present and you get a much more coating mouthfeel and a lot of that's going to come from aging exclusively in sherry butts um (laughs) i paused just so blake would have a harder time bleeping that out later (laughs) anyway um yeah it's a great whiskey yeah i'm thoroughly impressed um blake and i were discussing Possibility of starting uh, to rate the whiskeys uh, on the show uh, one to five. Not going to do that now, but I think it's a great idea, and yeah. we should do that. We're thinking <laughs> about doing his rating, my rating, and then a combined D- DT rating. Nice, like what we rate it as a show because we have very different uh, preferences in our in our palettes as far as what we like to um, sip on a regular basis. So, like, I, I prefer the sherry. Um, space side kind of scotches. He's more of a uh, smoky uh, endeavorer, as it were. Uh-huh. Um, so, speaking of smoky uh, high ABVs, <laughs> <laughs> you have uh, you have some smoking news to tell us, don't you? <laughs> I do, I do. So, it, just in the order of things, it's going to seem a lot more uh, abrupt to a lot of the listeners. But uh, this is actually taking taking uh, place over a longer period of time. Um, when I became, um, I became a Christian when I was, uh, much younger, I was a teenager. Uh, but when I became uh, a Calvinist, I, I don't want to jump right to reformed, uh, cause I wasn't quite there yet, but, uh, I became a Calvinist in 2016. Um, and immediately jumped into, uh, the camp of, uh, uh, I guess what you could classify as 20th century Baptists. And uh, theonomy uh, as 
sort of where for me the logical conclusion uh, kind of that, that's kind of the, just the conclusion I went to. It made sense. Um, I heard a lot of good arguments for it, and so um, I, 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 <laughs> I wasn't in a position to argue against it. And I like the idea of it. I think it's one of those wishful thinking kind of uh, things. Um, I, I think in an ideal, perfect world, sure, uh, that would make sense. Uh, but unfortunately, it's not the world we live in. And uh, I didn't quite have uh, the same grasp uh, of covenant theo- uh, theology that I do now. Um, and so, yeah, that was the camp that I jumped into. And so I've held on to that and studied it uh, on and off uh, over the years up until uh, this year. And then we had this, uh, the live stream and people asked, <laughs> you know, Hey, what's your, what's your most controversial uh, belief? And I was like, Oh, it's definitely theonomy for sure. Um, and I'm not the only <laughs> theonomist in our group by any means. Um, uh, well, there, you're there not, are some who you're not at all now. No, I wasn't. <laughs> uh, I should say I wasn't. Um, and uh, we even had, I think there's at least one guy who's like a full-blown Rush Dooney reconstructionist uh, in there as well. A great guy. Uh, super funny. He's got some um, some fun posts and stuff. But um, so over the, over the last several months, I've been, I've been really studying more heavily uh, covenant theology just because I wanted to have a better grasp on it. I wanted to have a better grasp on the history of it. And so I started reading... Um, uh, the, uh, the the Baptist Distinctives book, uh, uh, Systematic Theology by uh, Owen and, and Cox. Um, uh, started talking to you, <laughs> and uh, and and so I had uh, some pretty good resources. Uh, and uh, my view, I guess, uh, I, I've adopted what I would consider a more biblical view of covenant theology. Um, yeah, boy, which which led to. Uh, diving uh, headfirst into 1689 federalism um, and seeing that view of covenant theology has, it, it basically put me in a position where it's like, all right, I have these two views that are totally conflicting now that they're not compatible with one another. And so what do I do? <laughs> one of them has got to go. This is definitely biblical. This one I think is biblical. <laughs> uh, so I, I had to, I had to give it up. Um, and I, and the further I get away from it, um, hindsight's 2020, you know, it's, uh, it, I'm seeing it more, um, more and more clearly now as I continue to move forward. But, um, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, uh, I am no longer for those listening. I'm no longer in the camp of uh, a theonomist. Um, there are things I love about, uh, about the ideology of theonomy. Yeah. 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 But before we get there, hold on, hold on. So I just want to say, you know, thanks for inviting me on. So what happened? Uh, Well, that live stream episode released and it was hilarious because Justin had texted me maybe like a week or so before being like, hey, guess what? I'm not a theonomist anymore. (laughs) (laughs) And then the live stream aired and I was like, hey, man. (laughs) Um, But then yesterday morning, as I was like getting ready to go to work, he he texted me yesterday morning. He's like, hey, do you want to... uh, like record a podcast tonight about theonomy. And by the way, Blake can't do it. So just be you and me. It's like, uh, um, can, can we do it the next night? So yeah, here we are. Um, but, but I wanted to say that was incredibly awkward, but awesome. It felt like confession time with, with Justin, like you were in a confessional and just confessing your sins. Like, 
I'm sorry, guys. I just, I really wanted to be at the honest. I just couldn't do it anymore. But no, man, it's, you know, you're putting this out there for the, the world to hear that like one episode later, yep. what's your most controversial view? Theonomy. <laughs> Next episode. Hey guys, yeah, no. I think I was wrong. <laughs> so just kudos to you, man. Well, kudos the first, to you. The first people to hear about it, we're actually in our uh, Distilling Theology reading group where we're going through um, The Wonderful Works of God uh, by Bob Inc. And um, we ended up, it came up somehow in the conversation because we were talking about covenant theology. Um and so it just kind of came up and Blake was like, oh, so by the way, uh, do you want to do, do you want to tell these guys? And I was like, yeah, sure. So I told I told uh, some of the folks that were in our uh, live our Zoom meeting for the reading group because we meet it. We meet once a week. By the way, folks, if you want to l- read some awesome content uh, with us, um, we have uh, weekly Zoom meetings uh, as we read through these these works together. So super fun. Join us there. Um, so they were the first people to hear about it, but then, uh, well, outside of like uh, you and Blake and us, the admins and, and the Distilling Theology Facebook group, I was like, hey guys, and one of them was like, this is even better than you becoming a Presbyterian. <laughs> <laughs> it was hilarious. Um, so yeah, uh, some of you might not know like what any of these things are, um, which is, is fine. Uh, so we have laid out uh, some definitions here. Um kind of describing what theonomy is. Um, translated accurately, it just means God's law. The, the, the term theology, theology, <laughs> the term theonomy uh, is translated as God's law. And so the idea was more fully developed uh, by uh, the guy who, who was the patron saint of theonomy, um, Greg Bonson, uh, who, uh, listen, I absolutely adore Greg Bonson. Uh, I love his, his presuppositional apologetics, um, uh, I, I really do enjoy his work on theonomy, despite no longer necessarily affirming it. Uh, I do still, uh, enjoy his, his works and, um, he's a, he's a brilliant Christian philosopher. Um, so I credit to him, uh, where it's due. Um, but theonomy was very fully developed by him. Um, and it basically, uh, rejects the traditional Christian doctrine between the civil ceremonial and moral aspects of the law. It rejects the reform doctrine that the Israelites' theocracy was unique, temporal, divine institution, and that the validity of the Israelite civil laws and punishments expired with the unique divine sanction of the Israelite theocracy and with the death of Christ. Um, so theonomists would argue essentially that the uh, for the abiding validity of the civil law, uh, right, the Mosaic law in, in its exhaustive detail. Um, so it basically sets forth the proposition that our civil magistrates uh, our governments must adhere to God's standard, um, which, as nice as that would be, uh, we know is not <laughs> going to happen. Well, I want to clarify that point. Uh, so yeah. you said that the civil magistrate is uh, required to adhere to God's standard. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where some confusion arises, because that sounds nice. We, mm-hmm. you know, I think we would all, um, hopefully all of us as Christians, would agree with that. Yeah. Um, you said that theonomy means God's law. And yeah. oftentimes it's presented as... Um, is it it's theonomy or autonomy, you know, God's law or man's law. And you yeah. got to choose as a Christian. And of course, out of, out of piety, out of love for the Lord, we recognize that we want to follow God's law. Um, so God's standard is the standard. And we would say yes and amen. But when, um, when we start getting into the details of what that standard actually is, that's where we kind of part ways and that's where there's disagreement. Sure. So for that definition, I think a more clear definition is not just that um, 
God's law is required for the civil magistrate to uphold or anything like that, but that specifically the Mosaic uh, judicial law. Yeah. Well, right. exactly. So it would be the abiding. Basically, the idea is, uh, as I understand it, um, all the Mosaic law would still be applicable today unless it was specifically abrogated in some way. Um, mm-hmm. And that uh, the idea is that all of the law, the moral, the civil, all of it was based on God's immutable attributes and therefore unchanging. And so there's no reason for us to say no more um, mm-hmm. to any of those things. And, and a lot of that is dependent on the idea that um, that we're all part of the same covenant that those laws were given under as well, um, right? That yeah. we would be considered under the same covenant of grace uh, yeah. going all the way back to the beginning. And I think that's going to take us down a road of covenant theology, which we need, I think we should get to. But before I interrupted you a while yes. back and you were going to say some things that you actually really appreciated about theonomy and liked. And I have, a, I have some things yeah. I would like to say that I really like about theonomy as well before... Sure you know, we just start critiquing it, I think it'd be really helpful to say, Hey, like, you know, there's a lot of things that I have in common with my theonomic brothers and sisters. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I think there is definitely, although, although, okay. So ultimately I think there is a best way to do things. Um, in, in, I think we all, like you said, we would all agree that God's law is the most just law. It's the most right law. And we wish the whole world abided by God's law. And so there's definitely uh, things that would stem out of that that I would say practically uh, would make sense. Um, for example, one big thing uh, for me is the idea of like uh, the federal government having their hand in public schools. I don't think it's the government's job to school our children. I think it's uh, the parents' job to school their children. So I, I would be fine with abolishing government schools. Um, uh, death penalty, for example, is a, is a big one. I think that the death penalty is definitely warranted for certain crimes, um, I, I'm still a big fan of the idea of restorative justice, the idea that um, mass incarceration isn't necessarily the best way to handle things. Um, Amen. And that, for example, <clears throat> there are things that I think are sins that aren't necessarily uh, crimes that should be punished by the government. And there are things that are, um, as we know them, are crimes that aren't necessarily sins. Um, and so ultimately, uh, I like the idea of restorative justice and that Okay, you you smash into somebody's car. You don't go to jail. You pay back the what it costs to fix the car, and then some. Um, you know, you steal something. You give it back, uh, and you pay back what was what was lost. Um, if you kill someone, uh, well, the just penalty for that, I would say, would be the death penalty, um, mm-hmm. because you can't restore. There's no restoring that. Um, yeah, and well, we see that earlier in yeah. the Noahic Covenant, um, exactly. with Genesis nine six. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, there's a there's a there's a lot about theonomy that I that I thoroughly enjoy and and that I I wish could see that I could see panned out. Um, it's it's I think that's one of the reasons it's so alluring and that it's so attractive, um, especially in a day and age where uh, our culture so clearly hates God. Um, the idea that God's law reigns and should be in all its glory mm-hmm, mm-hmm. presented and uh, in, in, in abided by by our civil magistrate uh, sounds very appealing, um, for sure. Yeah. And for me, I, I love the presupp- presuppositional nature of mm. theonomy, mm-hmm. that uh, God's word is applicable to all areas of our life, uh, that God's law is always going to be better than man's law. Mm. Um, so in that sense, I'm a theonomist if the definition we're going with is just 
you know, your four man's or God's law over man's law. Sure. But that's not how it's commonly used today, even though that's the etymology of the word. Sure. Um, so I love the presuppositional nature of it. I love that it seeks to apply God's word to all areas like ethics, like civil law. Um, mm-hmm. Some Christians would say that <clears throat> there's a divide between the church and the state, that God's word and God's law is uh, applicable to the church, but for the state, um, they're illuminated by the light of nature or man's reasoning. And what that creates is a dual ethic of mm, sorts. Okay, uh, yeah. you, have a, you have one ethic for the church, one ethic for the state. One is r- ruled by the word of God. One, the word of God has nothing to do with. I completely reject that. So I love what theonomy is trying to do, but I do think it oversimplifies certain things sure. um, that when you carry them to their logical conclusion, just don't make sense. And I don't think we see it in scripture. So um, agreed. Yeah. Anyway, but for all you theonomists out there, uh, I think we do have a lot in common. I think there's a lot of room to start a conversation, but it's, you know, we're all for God's standard, but what is that standard today? Um, what does that mean for, uh, the church in the new covenant? What does it mean for a world, uh, post new, you know, uh, induction of the new covenant? So it's, it's tricky. So for sure, for sure. And I think oftentimes hand in hand, um, we see theonomy and Christian reconstructionism uh, being conflated, I think, a little bit too often, because I think there is a distinction to be made. Um, but they very often do go hand in hand. Um, Christian reconstructionism was essentially, it, I, I call it theonomy plus. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it, bates, it dates back essentially to the 50s. Uh, uh, Rush Dooney was a big, uh, R.J. Rush Dooney was a huge proponent of that. Um, again, great brother in Christ, but uh, um, basically... Th- so theonomy, as Bonson would have presented it, is not necessarily intertwined with a particular eschatological view, whereas Reconstructionism, I think, is dependent on uh, postmillennialism as being your eschatological view. Now, I am postmillennial, um, but uh, again, <laughs> the, oh, man, that doesn't go a, hand in hand with... <laughs> I've got a quote later. Maybe we'll save it for the Patreon Ooh. that'll just wreck your postmill. <laughs> <laughs> everybody uh, sign up now quick <laughs> <laughs> i will tell you this too I, I i found it interesting that i've actually i've actually found more post mill folks in the presbyterian community than i have uh in the baptist community um when it when it's outside of um the christian reconstructionist baptists <laughs> um mm-hmm. but yeah so reconstructionism is essentially the idea that you're basically anticipating a very future glorious age, much like much like this is why it's so hand in hand with post mill uh, before the return of Christ, where most of the world is converted, um, and therefore essentially you, it, it's the idea of reinstituting uh, and, and reconstructing um, what theonomy would essentially promote the the idea that we're going back to God's law and that we should be advocating um, for that across the board, um, and and so it's like. It is theonomy, but dependent on postmillennial eschatology. It's seeing a physical <clears throat> reign of Christ's kingdom here on earth, um, as opposed to just a spiritual reign. Sure. Yeah. Yep. So I, I wasn't there. I hadn't gotten there <laughs> before I converted. Um, but uh, I, I saw the appeal to it and I understood it. And, and it was kind of headed in that direction. Uh, until God was like, listen, fam, 
nah. <laughs> <laughs> and what um, was it that did it for you? Like, what was the the straw? Jeez. Oh, well, there was there was two things really primarily. One uh, was um, as I as I shifted my view of the covenants uh, to federalism, um, I, I saw the 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 inconsistent nature of trying to jam theonomy into that view of the covenants. So the idea that uh, the covenant of grace is not overarching, and then you have different administrations um, in the form of like mini covenants uh, in the in the way that our, our Pado Baptist brothers might um, uh, express those things. And so I, I couldn't fit theonomy into that because theonomy, in many ways, is dependent on that on that view of covenants. Right, so um, the the only reason that the the Mosaic Law would be applicable to us now would be if we're in the same covenant of, uh, the, mm-hmm. you know, we're not in the covenant of works. We're not in. Um, so because of that, I couldn't fit those two things. Um, so it was that, uh, and, and it was just a, a natural um, sitting down and thinking of the logical conclusions of of. Okay, if 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 we take theonomy and follow it through all the way to its logical end, is that even plausible? Um, and and I just can't even with a post millennial eschatology, I just can't see that. Um, just because of the sinful nature of man, I can't see that ever playing out. And we've never mm-hmm. seen it played out in at any point in history. So I yeah. thought there's there's no examples of this to to even look to uh, in scripture mm-hmm. to say okay, this is how it should be. So, uh, <clears throat> you guys haven't done a series yet on covenant theology, although right. although I'm sure one's going to eventually come. And oh yeah, there's there's a lot of different camps in uh, covenant theology. Mm-hmm. And what I'm hearing is that as you started to adopt 1689 federalism, which is one of two uh, specifically Baptist understandings of covenant theology, you found that it 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 doesn't harmonize with theonomy. You can't right. hold to both consistently at the right. same time. And I would agree that the way that 1689 federalism understands the covenants, it would preclude one from actually being able to hold a theonomy because um, whereas, you know, a majority, if not all, there's different camps in a Pado Baptist, the, the Westminster federalism, the um, uh, Republicanism uh, the, in the Pado Baptist camp, you do have different camps within covenant (laughs) theology there Mm -hmm. within the Baptist side. Um, what I believe has been shown to be the majority view at the time of the writing of the 1689 confession. Um, it, you have an understanding where the covenant of works and the covenant of grace are the two covenants that deal exclusively with, um, eternal, uh, eternal life, eternal life or eternal death. 1689 federalism, uh, would understand the new covenant, as being synonymous with the covenant of grace and that all the preceding covenants in the old Testament were, are to be viewed as subservient covenants Mm -hmm. that are actually uh, different forms of covenants of works, not for, not the covenant of works, right? Mm -hmm. Not one where eternal life is on the line, but a covenant where um, the, the stipulations must be kept in mm-hmm. order to receive the promised reward. Right. Otherwise, How often do we see right? in the Old Testament, right? Do this and I will this. You know, do these things and you will be right. 
this. And so Leviticus 18.5, do this and live. Right. Is specific. Yeah. And, and we don't see that <laughs> so much uh, in the covenant of grace. It's essentially repent and believe and, and you mm-hmm. have eternal life. Um, yeah, it's interesting. And, 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 you know, I know this isn't an episode specifically on 1689 federalism, but just trying to give this broad overview of whereas many other camps of covenant theology would see all of those um, Old Testament covenants post Adam's fall mm-hmm. would be different administrations of the same covenant of grace. Right. They would share a substance. Um, and don't get me started on that. I really want to go down a rabbit trail on, <laughs> on the use of the word substance. Um, <laughs> but I won't, uh, because I know we're talking about theonomy, not necessarily covenant theology. But what I think this is showing is that um, first and foremost, our understanding of covenants is going to affect other beliefs. You can't just believe something uh, isolated on its own without right. it ripple affecting, you know, and branching out into other areas of doctrine. And so with 1689 federalism, because, um, because we don't see the Mosaic covenant as being a covenant of grace, Mm -hmm. that that covenant was finished. It was abrogated at the time Christ came. Uh, it was fulfilled and we are no longer living under that Mosaic covenant and that it, it, it would be impossible for a 1689 federalist to consistently hold to theonomy. Yeah, but yeah, but you could try to consistently hold to it under other forms of covenant theology. Sure. Yeah, within the Baptist camp, there's there's pretty much only 1689 federalism and 20th century Reformed Baptist uh, views, and and they're both. um, And this is specifically Reformed um, Christians. What we're speaking of. There's all kinds of weird Baptists out there that. You know, most most of them go by the term non-denominational. <laughs> um, but the there's denominational denomination, right? There's actually a church uh, not far from here. It's a Seventh Day Baptist church. I'm like, uh, boy, you you really butchered that one. Um, <laughs> They're only Baptist on the seventh day. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> uh, I think there's Seventh Day Adventist Church, but they're they're Credo Baptist, so they just decided to call themselves Seventh Day Baptist. I don't know. Okay. Interesting group. Um, so anyway, uh, within that reform camp, so um, we both affirm the 1689. Uh, it's just, ironically, it's almost like a, a hermeneutic of the 1689 difference in how we understand how it was written, um, which I think is why church history and how in the history of the, the confessions is important to understand mm-hmm. uh, what it actually means and, and why, <laughs> you know, yeah. why it was written the way it was written. I know it's not the, the purpose of the conversation here, but I would argue uh, some other time that it's been pretty conclusively shown, um, by especially Sam Renahan and his doctoral dissertation, mm. uh, from shadows to substance that, mm-hmm. that the dominant view at the time, uh, was commensurate with 1689 federal federalism, mm-hmm. at least what it's become to be known today. Yeah. Um, the 20th century reformed Baptist view came about mid 20th century, uh, from some Baptists who were studying at Westminster theological seminary, uh, the the stand the view of the particular Baptists at the time in the 17th century had kind of fallen by the wayside. Uh, it become unpopular with the rise of dispensationalism, and for uh, a number Yikes. of years, their writings <laughs> their writings were basically lost. Yeah, and Baptists recovered their you know some of their understanding of covenant theology while attending 
um, Pado Baptist seminaries. And so they kind yeah. of adopted this uh, one substance, multiple administration view of the covenants. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, <clears throat> the 1689 is written in such a way where it does allow both views mm-hmm. um, because both views existed at the time, although one was not very prevalent in the Baptist community, but yeah. uh, they did a lot, you know, they wanted to allow both views. Um, but in recent very years, generous. yeah, yeah. In recent years, um, you know, I think Baptists have started to recover their covenantal heritage to quote the title of a book by that name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Presbyterians, for trying to seep into our <laughs> theology. Oh, man. No, that's great. And, and yeah, I can understand. Um, it's one of those things where, look, I'm okay if if you're gonna if you're gonna be theonomist, that's fine. I've heard some fantastic arguments for it, um, just none as convincing as a, a, a biblical view of covenants. <laughs> um, yeah, and and so uh, Blake and I were talking about this today, actually. Um, just the allure of, of something like that is, is very. There's there tend to be trends. You know, you go through history and you can see a lot of trends of, um, like we saw the dispensational trend. You know. Uh, particularly the mm-hmm. boomers, you know, in the Schofield study Bible and things like that were a huge, huge problem. You know, Hale Lindsay's late great planet earth and all the other things um, that, uh, you know, caused that whole, that whole ordeal. Um, you know, I think they, I think they uh, somehow still sour John MacArthur and that's why he's still a, a leaky dispensationalist, you know, and things like that. Yeah. But um, yeah, in, in, I, the, this is by no means like we don't want to discourage you from like listening to people who might hold the theonomy. Like um, just with, just like with anything though, you just want to have your discernment up and you want to uh, test everything uh, against the scriptures. Um, you know, I, I, I still love listening to pastor Jeff Durbin, right? Um, he, he's, he's very strong on a lot of things and I, I thoroughly enjoy a lot of their ministry. Um, but he, I mean, he's like sold out, full blown, <laughs> uh, theonomy reconstructionist, um, you know, hashtag that post mill. Um, <laughs> I mean, you name it. Uh, yeah. And I, I, you know, I've met him and some of the other guys and they're phenomenal, phenomenal guys. Um, and he's very articulate. Um, you know, he was, he was, he and, the, and their church were some of the folks that were holding me into that view for so long because they have some fantastic arguments for it. One of the big things that, that was out that, that you hear pushed a lot is this idea that, okay, God's reigning over, uh, he reigns now he's sitting at the right hand of the father. He's putting all his enemies under his feet. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, you hear the argument, um, just like within uh, the Lord's prayer, you know, your kingdom come on earth. It isn't as it is in heaven. Um, the idea that the coastlands wait for his law you know, the idea that um, uh, he's essentially putting the earth under his dominion. And so th- their natural outpouring to that is, well, then mm-hmm. therefore theonomy, right? Yeah, yeah. Though so you keep going, but you're, you're, yeah. you're segueing perfectly into something I want to talk about, but <laughs> yeah. keep going. Right, the idea that uh, in, in Matthew 5, you know, um, that he's somehow advocating for theonomy in, in Matthew uh, 5, or the, this idea that, like, <laughs> um, essentially, uh, he's putting all his enemies under his feet, and the coastlands are waiting for his law, and and essentially, 
Um, uh, what the heck was the verse? I'm so frustrated. Well, well, go ahead. Yeah, you know, go ahead. You think about it, but but you brought up um, how they tend to hear these. Uh, you know, the coastlines are waiting for his law and they think, ah, there's the army, right? Right. Because it's talking about God's law. And I think this is where there's an over, overly simplistic understanding of what God's law actually is. Well, so earlier you were talking about the threefold division of the law, right? The, the moral, the ceremonial, the civil, or the judicial. Mm-hmm. Um, and while I think that's a really helpful way to, for us to understand the law, for us to grasp the different components, you know, um, of all the 600 plus some laws that we see in the Torah. Yeah. Uh, I think that there are, there's a, a better way for us to look at it mm-hmm. to add some clarity to why uh, some of these judicial laws would cease now, uh, even though they're based on, you know, it, they're God's law, they're God's commands that he gave to Israel. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I would like to talk a little bit about equity Yes. And also general equity is like one of the biggest arguments that they, yeah. that they have. Um, right. And, and that verse in Matthew five seventeen was the one I was looking for this, this okay. idea that Christ came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And they somehow have turned that into, well, then that means that Christ fulfilling the law means we need to apply all of the law everywhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, um, and so, yeah, that that's what you're about to jump into is very helpful. Understanding how general equity applies. And, and what what equity means and what law mm-hmm. Christ is actually talking about there, because I think there is this equivocation that when we see the word law in Scripture, um, that it must only mean uh, the Mosaic law. Sure. And, and even if it even many times where it does, again, there are specifically two types of law that I think we need to be considering. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's let's start with talking about equity. Um, equity denotes justice, which is administered according to what is right and fair, as opposed to what is strictly demanded by the rules of common law. In a legal context, equity asks the question, how do you figure out what to do when the law does not apply? Um, this comes from uh, Craig Troxell and Peter Wallace. This is actually in an article written by Brandon Adams. And really quick side note, I am a distiller of whiskey. Brandon Adams is a incredibly well-read individual who distills a whole bunch of people's thoughts down into these amazing, crazy long articles. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I try to distill them down further if I can. So here I am, <laughs> distilling theology, right? <laughs> it's, it's your cue, Blake, when you edit. I, I expect to or yeah, something. There you go, yeah. Um, so that's their definition. Equity, as the confessions put it, are trying to figure out in our current context, how do we take the Mosaic law? How does it apply to us today? What what equity carries over? So in Westminster uh, Confession of Faith 19.4, it says, To them also, as a body politic, he gave sundry judicial laws, which expired together with the state of that people, not obliging under any now further than the general equity thereof may require. So it leaves the door open for this idea of general equity, which is a, is a good thing, though... Westminster Confession of Faith does say that um, those laws have expired except for general equity. Now we got to figure out what yep. that means. And for a lot of people, uh, the, way, the way they think, um, and I'm quoting from Brandon Adams here, uh, but they, they think that you take Canaan and you just substitute California. Sure. Like, oh, okay. So we just take this and we apply it to today. Just, just A to B, like just one to one applies perfectly. 
Uh, he says, so we exchanged language about the land of Canaan for the land of California, and voila, we're left with the general equity of any given Mosaic law. The problem, Dispensationalists however, is, do the same thing, yeah, just with eschatology. Yeah, the, right. And the problem, though, is that's not the meaning of the, the confession of faith. And here he quotes the second London Baptist confession and how they phrase it slightly differently. Uh, the same section in the, the London Baptist confession says, to them also he gave sundry judicial laws, which expired together with the state of that people, not obliging any now by virtue of that institution, their general equity only being of moral use. And so now we're starting to talk about, okay, only the moral law applies. The, the 1689 makes that specific. Um, and I want to quote from Richard Barcelos. A lot of this is coming from an article that I don't know if you guys you guys link articles, right? We can link sure. some stuff. I think it'd be really helpful. Anybody wanted to look into this more, but Richard Barcelo says that the equity that an old covenant judicial law might possess does not come from the particular old covenant judicial law itself. It is simply an application of moral slash natural slash universal law to Israel's unique covenantally conditioned natural or national life. So there may be principles in particular Old Covenant judicial laws that transcend the Old Covenant, but the temporary law does not establish what constitutes equity. It is a unique illustration or application of it. Hence, the equity predates and even transcends the Old Covenant. That's huge, because Bonson's very clever in that he would say uh, things like all of the, or most of the Mosaic Code uh, and, and and the laws henceforth because they were based on God's immutable character, that they specifically took part in uh, general equity in the sense that they apply now because they are based on God's immutable character. But that's a much clearer and (laughs) more logical way of applying it, that they are just applications of the general equity of the moral law. Yeah, yeah. And and Adam says that, the judicial laws only help provide us with specific examples of how the moral law was applied mm-hmm. to Israel. Therefore, we do not reason from Canaan to California, which is one step, but from Canaan to moral law, then to California, which is two steps. So the equity is actually the moral law. It's not the judicial law. We don't just say we take this, shift it over to mm-hmm. today. We say the judicial laws that were given to them were applications for their day based on the moral law. And to find the true general equity today, we have to go back to and understand what that moral law is and then how it would apply today. Um, I, and I do want to be clear that that doesn't mean that God's judicial law in those days was unjust. Right. And all of us, it's not as if it were just then and it's all of a sudden unjust right. now. I think, I think to some degree there is it, an aspect that if we were to apply certain laws today, it would be unjust. And I hope we can get to that maybe in the Patreon sure. part, but I don't even know how long we've been going, <laughs> but um, I, I, so I, I think that been when we're looking minutes. at the threefold division, we're at 48 yeah, minutes. We, we had, Dang. we had a little discussion beforehand <laughs> when we started recording. So we're good. Okay. All right. Maybe, maybe we just, maybe we just keep yeah, going. You break this up in two episodes. <laughs> Cause there's a lot, there's a lot more, man. Um, so, we're looking at the threefold mm. division, right? I think a, a more helpful way to understand this is perpetual yep. law or moral law uh, and positive law. I like perpetual like and positive law because yeah. I'm a Baptist and I like alliteration, <laughs> right? Um, but we're talking about the moral law and positive law. Um, and the positive law is something that is laid on top of 
the moral law, the judicial law of the Mosaic Code and the ceremonial law were both positive Mm -hmm. laws. Um, And we can actually see, um, we can see an example of positive law. I I like to use the example of uh, the Sabbath, right? So you have the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. We all agree that that is God's moral Mm -hmm. law. Um, Even theonomists, I mean, it's even if they don't make the same distinctions, they would say those laws are moral. So those are uh, laws that reflect God's character that existed prior Mm -hmm. to the uh, Mosaic Covenant. But what we see in something like the Fourth Commandment is a positive law added to it. And we see them all over uh, Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Exodus. We see a lot of positive laws, but... Here we see one uh, in the day of the Sabbath, which is Saturday. The, the, the fact that we are to rest as Christians um, based on God's divine example and uh, as a looking forward to our eternal rest with him is a moral law based on God's character. He is a God who rests. He rested when he created, etc. Right. Sure. That doesn't change even today. But the day of the week has changed. You know, it's Sunday now. It's no longer Saturday. So the day of the week was a positive law laid on top of the moral law, sort of like uh, barnacles on a boat. You know, the boat doesn't, is, is, it's going to be a boat, but you can scrape those barnacles off and the, the, they'll sit on there. They'll be part of it for, for however long they'll be there. Um, but they're not integral to that boat. They're not integral to the moral law. The day of the week that we worship God on being Saturday, that was not integral to the moral law itself, it served its purpose for Israel. God gave them uh, reasons for why they were to do it on Saturday, and uh, they were to follow that. But um, so, what are your thoughts so far? I, I could keep going, but <laughs> no, look, this is excellent. Um, I, I want to read that. Uh, I want to read that article um, in its in its lengthiness. Um, really, it sticks out to me. Uh, a lot that two-step uh, process, um, the idea of going from, um, you know, going from Canaan to the to the moral law and then back to California. The the idea that um, that that's very helpful. That would have been helpful <laughs> uh, back when I was a theonomist uh, to see that uh, to transition from that too, um, because that that's that's like a really significant it'd be easy to to yeah. sweep that under the rug uh, if you're not really paying attention. Um, but that's like a really significant understanding of how general equity equity works. Yeah. And I, I want to read you another sort of lengthy quote about positive mm-hmm. law, but, uh, and lead into um, a discussion about why, why positive law is not part of the moral law. Um, the dis- even the twofold distinction that we're making is not a distinction that theonomists would make, but then I want to actually go deeper and actually look at some scriptural passages where Paul does make that yeah. distinction. Let's do it. Um, so, but but um, this is a quote from uh, Sam and Micah Renahan uh, on a paper that they wrote while they were in seminary. Um, it's it's great. Maybe we can link to it. Uh, I think it's free online cool. still. But it says moral law endures throughout all of the covenants, but positive laws do not. A positive law may be generally defined as something that is dependent on direct revelation for its obligation. In other words, without some form of special revelation, we would not know of these positive laws and we would not be required to obey them. 
For example, the civil and ceremonial laws of the Old Testament are positive laws. There was no requirement placed on other nations to follow the same civil laws as Israel. These are not laws that are morally binding on all people in all places at all times. They are binding only for a particular people and for a particular time. This is because they are positive laws. When it comes to positive laws, we should not assume that they are in effect unless rescinded. Positive laws instead end with the termination of the covenant in which they were given. Positive laws are given in a particular redemptive historical setting and in a particular covenant document. Positive laws only apply to the covenantal context in which they are given. This is why we no longer are obligated to follow the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament. Sam and Micah Renahan being 1689 Federalists, they see the Mosaic Covenant as being abrogated and not being the covenant of grace. Yeah, that's one thing that stuck um, out to me when I was listening to... uh, the different covenants uh, in that podcast, um, the idea that these uh, covenants, because they didn't have um, an eternal salvific um, impact, <laughs> um, that, that that's what made them subservient, um, and that and to the to the covenants that had eternal um, life attached to them in some way. Um, mm-hmm. And and so those because because those things have been abrogated, those covenants are no, no longer in effect, and we're only under the covenant of grace now. Um, that it would make sense that the that the positive laws that were attached to those covenants would be gone away just with those covenants. Yeah, um, yeah that's yeah. that's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, and and uh, man, there's there's a couple other and there's a couple other things, but I, I kind of want to keep going if you're good with it. Yeah. Um. So so. I know that a, a response from some theonomists would be, well, we don't recognize that distinction because we believe that the penalties um, or the sanctions are are moral in and of themselves. You know, Greg Bonson yes. would have seen that. Big time. Um, he made a distinction. He made a twofold distinction, which was really just kind of a onefold, <laughs> depending on how you interpreted him. But he said that the moral and judicial were actually both moral and only the ceremonial uh, was a restorative mm-hmm. law. Um, so I want to, I want to look at, um, again, I, I'm going to be reading a little bit from Brandon's stuff. He puts it a lot better than me, uh, than I well, ever could Christians hope to don't, do. Isn't that all um, we do is read from other people? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm trying to figure out where to start. There's <laughs> a lot to, uh, so we understand, um, the, the laws, the punishments themselves were actually curses brought mm-hmm. on not just the nation of Israel. So we see with Deuteronomy 28, um, that the nation of Israel would be cursed, yeah. that, that we would understand as 69 federalists, that the Mosaic covenant is a covenant mm-hmm. of works, um, that, uh, they were required to follow to remain in the land of Canaan. God was going yes. to give them the land of Canaan because he promised Abraham that he would. But if they were to remain in it, uh, they would be required to work, mm-hmm. you know, uh, keep the law. It's a work. Um, but it's not just a national thing. Uh, the, the punishments were actually curses to individuals, uh, covenantal curses, um, which don't exist today in the new covenant. Um, so the law, I'm quoting Brandon Adams right now, the law says, do this, uh, a covenant of work says do this and live, right? 
Um, great, great sermon this Sunday, actually at church, we were in Deuteronomy, um, talking about how we ought to obey the law of God, uh, out of love, out of gratitude. We don't obey it for salvation, right. right? Right. So the law in general, God's law is moral laws. Just do this, but a covenant works, do this and live, right? Okay. So the curses though found in the Mosaic covenant and the blessings are derived from the law as a covenant of works, violation of the law brought curses upon individuals in the nation. That is why people were put to death in Israel for violating the moral law, because it was a covenant of works with life in the balance. Um, and he's citing Leviticus 18, mm-hmm. five, do this and live, which Paul cites in Galatians three twelve and in Romans 10, five, um, you know, contrasting the difference between the old law and, and grace. Um, and so the death penalty, well, actually here, uh, Deuteronomy 27, 26, Paul also cites this in Galatians 3, 10. Um, Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them, and all the people shall say, Amen. So we're seeing there's actually individual curses uh, for just for the people and not just for the yeah. individuals. And Paul also, again, cites that uh, the death penalty instituted under the old covenant for violation of the moral law was not itself part of the moral law. It was in addition to the moral law given by way of covenant. The shedding of blood by man for violation of the moral law was specifically a curse. Theonomists who believe Christians should enforce Mosaic curses for violation of the moral law are putting Christians under a covenant of works that we have been freed from. Galatians 5, Acts 15, 10. Um, And so... um, Yeah, <laughs> I, no, I love seeing. I love seeing it because again, hindsight's twenty twenty. Um, th- this is I haven't heard it put that way before. The idea that um, that those that those punishments were in fact a judgment <laughs> uh, that that we're now freed from. That's like that's like really <laughs> that that's really helpful. Yeah. Um, and and it is one of those things that's, uh, that's very freeing. And the, yeah. Well, and here let's, let's pause yeah. really quick because people want to say, um, that these punishments were to be enforced by the civil magistrate. They, 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 they try to carry it over today. And so this is what the government ought to do. But Israel was a type. It was a shadow of the church. It was not a, it was not a type or a shadow of right. the state. <laughs> right. Um, this is, and we'll see in a little bit how Paul carries this concept over this typology of Israel being a type for the church into the church age. Um, but the people, the people, not the civil magistrate, are the ones who actually had to enforce right. these laws. They were the ones who had to stone their yeah. neighbors. Yeah. And, and that's um, a huge distinction. So to say, Could, you yeah. know, putting your, the theonomist puts that responsibility in the hands of the state where it wasn't the states to begin with. Um, They might say, this is what the punishment should be. But like you said, it was then the people that carried out those punishments. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Stoning, stoning disobedient children and uh, homosexuals and (laughs) all these other moral violations. These punishments were part of a part of curses that belong to a certain covenant um, and these people who, again, were a type of the church, this was a holy mm-hmm. nation who God dwelled mm-hmm. with, 
uh, in their midst. Well, right. Israel and would, so he would not permit. Uh, it's a shadow of yeah, the elect. He would right? not permit. You know, it, it, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. so, and so to conflate that with the state's a big error. Um, yeah. In the same way, it, it's not as though these 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 moral violations are going to go unpunished now in the new covenant. They're still going to be punished in due time when when Christ comes and judges the world. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. 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 That's huge. Yeah. That's huge, man. Yeah. Well, well, and Paul, we'll get to it, but I mean, Paul even talks about who am I to judge the world? Sure. Like, no, we, we aren't to judge the world. God, that's God's sure. job. Now. Um, he used Israel for a time to judge the, uh, the people mm-hmm. in Canaan to drive them out, uh, but not the whole world. And we, we see, yeah, we on. see the types and shadows throughout all of the old Testament too. Um, I, yeah. I was just listening to that today. Uh, the, you know, the idea of uh, Abraham's offspring uh, and his mm-hmm. offsprings, <laughs> the difference between, yeah. you know, the offspring being Christ uh, and, and then uh-huh. and then the, the more temporal offspring uh, that received specific land promises and things like that. Um, right. The physical seed right. versus the spiritual seed. Right. OK, so so as Peter tells us, we are a mm-hmm. holy nation now, the church, the elect yeah. here yeah. and now. We are the the holy Spiritual nation Israel. of God, though we're not, yeah, though we're not a geographical and mm-hmm. ethnic nation as Israel was. Israel was a geographic ethnic mm-hmm. nation um, that was a type, a shadow of the elect, and God's dwelling mm-hmm. with them was a type of what the Holy Spirit does yeah. with us. But God would not allow uh, such unholiness to to remain in Israel if He was to dwell amongst yeah. them. And so there were these curses, these penalties, these sanctions against the stipulations God puts forth. It's almost like a type, uh, the, the commands or that shadow God requires of sanctification, of of our mortification. Yeah, exactly, we are to stone yes. our sin. Yeah, exactly. It, it's um, so we need to remember what Israel is in redemptive yeah. history. They were absolutely elect within mm-hmm. Israel. With you know, there was true Israel, but Israel as a geographic ethnic nation state was not the church. And that's where we would differ with Pado baptists yeah. again, where our Baptist covenant theology visible, comes invisible, in and informs yeah. us here. Yeah. Um, but we need to remember what Israel is and the purpose of Israel. I mean, right. they, they served three main purposes. I, I won't go down that road right now, <laughs> <laughs> um, but we got to remember that. And I want, I want to point us to another passage that Paul, I mean, we're going to get to a couple more, but um, Deuteronomy 21, 22 through 23, Paul cites this in Galatians three. Uh, it says, and if a man has committed a crime punishable by death and he is put to death and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day for a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance. And Paul quotes that of Jesus Christ. He was the man hanged on the tree, cursed for our iniquities, mm-hmm. right? And Christ paid for these penalties. Um now, maybe maybe in the patron section, what I would love to do is talk about where where we go with um, how. Because right now I'm critiquing theonomy, but what do we make of God's law? What does carry over? Yeah. Because I would say things do carry Absolutely. over. Uh, I don't want to leave the theonomist listening to this, um, you know, hanging dry. Because I think there are things that carry over. We have to be very careful about what those yeah. things are. So I'm not saying that none of the law that God gave to Israel uh, applies. Absolutely. I want Absolutely. to be clear about that because some does. Um, so I just want to put that out there. Um, yeah. Yeah. We'll, um, but, we'll carry that over. 
you know, not to not to entice, not to entice oh, people off now? Uh, to come to come <laughs> over, but uh, definitely definitely enticing people to come over. All right, but but yeah. before you before we stop, if we can, there's there's one By more section, means. and just just for people who who aren't patrons, although you should be, you absolutely <laughs> should be, everybody. Yeah. By the way, if you join um, Patreon at uh, at the fourteen ninety nine a month level, you get a after three months of support, you get a sweet patrons only mug Ooh. with a Glen Karen picture on it. <laughs> Yeah, this one? Yeah. <laughs> which by the way if you were a patron you could see what we're holding up <laughs> that's true <laughs> so i i'm sorry mm-hmm. i just want to get to this um and then i think there's going to be some more awesome stuff everybody but um i think this one's important and again i'm just gonna i'm just gonna read this this is quoting brandon adams again he says it better than i uh he says rather than civil enforcement being carried over to the new testament what we see is civil enforcement typological being replaced with church enforcement anti-type. So this is where we're going to see Paul um, show us what what the purpose of the actual general sure. equity, the equity we were talking sure. about, how that carries over. How uh, anyway, so, so it says to state the well. So First Corinthians five thirteen is the new covenant application of the general equity of Deuteronomy twenty two twenty one. So I'm going to read both passages for you and you'll hear how they're echoed. So Deuteronomy. But if the thing is true that evidence of virginity was not found in the young woman, then they shall bring out the young woman to the door of her father's house and the men of her city shall stone her to death with stones because she has done an outrageous thing in Israel by whoring in her father's house. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. If a man is found lying with the wife of another man, both of them shall die the man who lay with the woman and the woman. So you shall purge the evil from Israel. Okay. So that's, you know, for a theonomist, they would say, if you see this, they ought to be stoned. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but Paul, Paul says though, in first Corinthians five, I wrote to you in my letter, not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a Mm -hmm. one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Two thoughts on that that are awesome. Yeah. Number one, uh, it's really cool to see the general equity played out in that instead of stoning the person, you're essentially exiling them from your midst. Um, Yeah. And and so you're you're taking that moral principle and saying, look, we're not going to have anything to do with you. Um, You know, we're not going to kill you because (laughs) that's not our place. Uh, But but we're not going to even associate with you. And two. Uh, I love mm-hmm. that uh, essentially, and you hear it so often, you know, judge not lest you be judged. Uh, we are called to judge those who are in our midst, who are our brothers and sisters, uh, but to do so in a non-hypocritical way, uh, but that we are to judge our brothers and sisters who call themselves uh, Christians who are making professions of faith uh, and saying, no, you're yeah. not adhering to the moral law that God has given you. That's a huge problem. I'm calling you yeah. out. And and that's not yeah. a that's not a... A judgment like, oh, I'm judging you, but it's like, no, you're, you're, we, we are, we need to sit down and we need to judge your, your actions. 
as a church, we are to purge the evil right. from among us, quoting right. Deuteronomy. That's Paul quoting Deuteronomy and, and how he applies it. Like it, what you see there too is what you were saying, excuse me, what you were saying earlier, that it is God's job to judge those outside mm-hmm. of the church. The Mosaic code, the equity of that informs the church because Israel was a type of the church. And Adams goes on to say, and I'm, I'll finish with this and I'm, I know if we can move on, it's getting long. The church is now considered holy rather than an earthly mm-hmm. kingdom. Thus, unrepentant sin is not tolerated in the church and it must be purged. Paul specifically applied a civil judicial law to the church. And in so doing, he proved that the civil enforcement was a positive aspect of the judicial law, not part of its general equity. So there's that distinction. Pause real quick. There's that distinction that the theonomists, they say, well, no, the positive law actually is also part of the perpetual. It's part of the moral law. But Paul is taking the concept, the equity, the essence of the moral law and applying it to those in the church without the punishment, separate from the the punishment itself, though just in the time of Israel, is not just for the church. It's not, it is, it's separate. And it it's not just for right. us to apply to covenant. covenant. Right. And it's, and again, though some things do carry over, and that's a conversation uh, that we can have, not every Mosaic judicial law uh, should we be enforcing upon the unbelieving world because that is us applying mm-hmm covenantal curses uh on people who are not in covenant with god for a covenant that no longer exists uh he goes on to say his first step was to determine the general equity of the judicial law that was paul's first step his second step again the two-step process was to apply to the church using new particulars but notice what else he says paul specifically says that this type of moral enforcement must not be made obligatory on the rest of the world that would be a misapplication of the judicial laws because it would be a misapplication of the moral law it is not the duty of the civil authorities to enforce the whole moral law or even the whole second table paul paul's explicit statements teach us otherwise for what have i to do with judging outsiders bam bam Mic drop moments. I'll tell you what, man. Um, that that leads to some interesting questions for our patrons that I have um, as far as uh, today <laughs> and what we do today mm-hmm. and how how we how we interact with the civil magistrate today and the role that they play. Um, so yeah, this is this is this has been fantastic. Uh, as Blake would say uh, regarding. <laughs> um, uh, the 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 curses of the law um and the um the moral imperatives of the laws we distinguish right <laughs> yeah we actually yeah. distinguish between the punishments <laughs> and the in the general equity <laughs> um yeah and and uh for anybody that wants to hang on to the patron part i've got to tantalize you i've got quotes from rush ooh, dooney gary ooh. north and Abraham Booth, and that Abraham Booth quote is what is going to make Justin no longer well. a post mill. <laughs> if you guys want. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> we can oh talk my gosh! About this. this has been awesome, dude. I really appreciated having you on this episode tonight. Um, Sorry, no, so long. <laughs> no. Honestly, I could talk about this all night long. This has been fantastic. So, just some reminders, guys. Uh, number one. If, the, if it hasn't been made clear yet, I am uh, no longer a theonomist. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, that does not mean I'm becoming a Presbyterian. <laughs> uh, for those of you that might get excited. Um, 
Guys, uh, thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate your time. Uh, check us out on our Facebook, our Instagram. Um, I think we're, if we're not already, we're very close to a thousand followers on Instagram, which is really cool. Um, our Facebook group, uh, is it 500 members and it's uh, a phenomenally exciting place to talk and hang out. Um, and it's legitimately the most laid back and, and peaceful reformed Facebook group that I've been a part of so far. Uh, not to throw any other group under the bus. Uh, there's a lot of other groups that I really love and appreciate. Um, but, uh, we really are something special. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also check yeah, us man. out uh, distillingtheology.com you can get all our podcasts there there's a, a link to our uh, online store where you can buy our mugs right now don't worry fancy Glen Cairns and stuff are coming uh, as well as some other stuff um, check us out on uh, because we are proud members of Society of Reform Podcasters uh, so if you go to reformpodcasts.com uh, the S is important because there's another website that's real weird if, uh, if you don't put the S on there Um <laughs> And so go to <laughs> reformpodcasts.com, uh, check us out there, and uh, you'll see a whole host of other podcasts uh, that are of the Reformed perspective, uh, and your feed will literally be full of uh, biblical, solid, phenomenal content. Uh, for those of you that have a commute like I do, uh, that is extremely uh, helpful and beneficial. Um, so yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. Uh, normally, uh, Blake and I would end with uh, with our little tagline. So whatever you do, oh yeah. yeah. Wait, what's? What, wait, uh, let's see if what, let's what see if it? you can let's see if you can remember. Okay, <laughs> teach it to so, me. So <laughs> I would say so. Uh, so Eric, whatever you do, whether you whether do you, all, uh, whether you do all drink to the glory of go. God, and then you'd say soli deo gloria. Yeah, soli deo gloria. There we go. All right. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Cheers, everybody. Have a great night, yeah. everybody. Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode of Distilling Theology. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to it as much as, well, I enjoyed listening to it. Uh, It was a bummer that I couldn't be there for this episode, but I had a great time listening to Justin and Eric discuss these things. Again, a huge thank you to Eric for coming in last second. Uh, You guys had a great dialogue. I wish I could have been there, but it was awesome to hear you all talk about theonomy, 1689 federalism, and on our patron exclusive, they actually go for another 45 minutes talking about alternatives to theonomy, their views on just and unjust punishments, more on 1689 federalism, post-millennialism, and much, much more. So if you guys want to hear some of that exclusive extended content, you can join us on Patreon for just $4.99 per month. You'll get those early release episodes live streamed uh, because we're usually streaming those to Patreon while we record them. Uh, You'll get extended episodes like this one and several others in our back catalog as well as exclusive bonus content. And if you're inclined, you can join us at $14.99 per month. And after three months, we'll send you a Patreon-exclusive coffee mug as a thank you for your support. Also, all of our patrons get a discount code uh, usable at shopdistillingtheology.com. Now, next week, I'll be back with Justin. We'll be continuing our series on systematic theology, diving into biblical anthropology, which is the, the doctrine of man as we see it through a biblical lens. We're going to be starting that series by discussing the Imago Dei, or the doctrine that mankind is made in the image of God. We'll evaluate a few different interpretations of that, as well as, frankly, the application and, and how that affects us as believers in our day-to-day lives. We will be tasting Capoletti's Pasubio Vino Amaro, which is a bitter herbal Italian liqueur produced by a small family-owned distillery in Italy. We're very excited to try that. Our patrons also get to vote occasionally on the spirits we taste, so there's another reminder for that. And just uh, as a, a little tease, here is some of the patron-exclusive episode, and we'll see you guys next week on Distilling Theology.
as a theonomist, one thing I was looking for to convince yeah. me otherwise, um, because I, I'm always, you know, I, I do want to hear both sides to an argument. I don't want to make it an ignorant uh, judgment or decision uh, that has, necess- you know, possibly yeah. eternal consequences in some way uh, on, on, you know, just because yeah. I want it to be that way. Um, so I, I often looked for, okay, well, yeah. then what? And, and, and I rarely and got an last answer. Last time I was on, we talked a little bit in the patron part about Romans 13 and about all, you and I, how we disagreed with um, uh, 21.4, I believe it is, in the confession and how the confession states the role of the civil magistrate, right? Yeah.